Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. everybody. Merry Christmas. It is so awesome to be with you during the season of Advent. My name is Nith and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor at City Lines Church. And you know, Advent is the beginning of the Christian calendar. You know, for Christians, the first Advent was the first coming of Jesus. The second Advent is when Jesus returns to set the world right again. But you know, every year, to prepare our hearts for the coming of Christmas, we celebrate Advent. And this year, we have a special Advent adventure that we're doing called Victorian Christmas. Now, one of the things I like to do when I'm preparing a message or a series is I like to take a look around and ask, is there something that's going on in our culture or in our community or even in our lives that can point people to Jesus or help us understand a specific truth with greater clarity from Scripture? And so this is actually a technique I found in Acts 17 when Paul is looking around Greek culture and he finds an altar to an unknown God and declares that this unknown God is actually Jesus and he builds a bridge from culture to Christ. Because the truth is, we are all spiritual beings. We are made in the image of God. And because we're made in his image, we can't help but imitate him in creating things. So we create things in culture. And all of those things have the fingerprints of God all over the stuff in our world today. And so I really got excited when I was looking for these fingerprints and I saw them in an annual celebration we do in our city called Victorian Christmas. Now, if you are new to the Williamsport area or maybe you're watching online out of state, Victorian Christmas is a celebration where we celebrate the Victorian roots of our city. People all over the city open up their homes for thousands of people to come to see restored buildings from the 1800s. In fact, not only can you visit homes, you can also visit churches in our community. In fact, our church, City Lines Church, is on the tour. Uh, Peter Herdick, who is responsible for so much of the city, uh, he was a logging bearer, which means he made most of his money from logging in the 1800s. He gave so much money for churches. In fact, he built the church that I'm standing in as a gift to his wife, who was actually part of this church when it first was built. It was First Baptist Church of Williamsport. But if you go to the Victorian Christmas website, you'll actually see the history of how this particular event started. It was actually started when a few friends were having a drink at a bar at a place called the Peter Herdick House. And these people, they loved the rich history of the city, and they were so grieved that so much of it was being lost. So many buildings had fallen into disrepair. They were broken down. And so they thought, we've got to do something about this. And so they started to offer tours of historical landmarks all over the city. And people got excited about it. They began to, to purchase different homes that were broken down and start to restore them. And so now the purpose of Victorian Christmas here in Williamsport is to create an appreciation of the history and the architecture of the city to preserve it for future generations. In many ways, Victorian Christmas was a call for restoration, to restore the past and preserve it for the future generations. Now, when I heard that history of Victorian Christmas, it actually reminded me of another call for restoration. This is actually a call that we see in Scripture. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, it's the story of a king named Josiah. And God's people, uh, before Josiah had come on, had abandoned God, rejected him. And in so doing, they let the temple of God, the house of worship, fall into disrepair. They lost the Scripture, and their whole nation was a mess. But then Josiah set to make things right. And so when he saw the broken down, decrepit site of the once glorious temple, what did he do? 
Well, let's read. It says this. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Johaz, the recorder, to what? Repair the temple of the Lord. Man, that's a lot of crazy names. But the point is, they were sent to repair the temple. It was a major restoration project to restore not just the building, but to also restore the worship of the true God that took place there, which led to God's people rediscovering the scriptures, which led to a national revival of people who came back to God. The restoration of worship to preserve the scriptures, the knowledge of God for the next generation. You know, this theme of destruction and reconstruction is all throughout Scripture. In fact, not only do we see this in Scripture of God bringing restoration out of broken things, he also continued to do this throughout church, church history, including in the Victorian era. Now, if you were wondering when the Victorian era was, it, it's usually considered the time period during the reign of Queen Victoria in England, which took place between 1837 to 1901. Now, the Victorian era was mostly prominent in England, Great Britain, but many of these cultural ideas was spread all throughout the world through books and newspapers, especially the United States. Things about architecture and fashion and customs. And when most of us think of the Victorian era, maybe like you have images of like Jane Austen or Charles Dickens, where everyone goes to fancy parties and they talk like this real snooty, wearing formal clothes. Usually we think of Victorian era as they're pretty prudish, serious, super pseudo-intellectual maybe. Now, while some of that is true, it was also so much more than that. In fact, one of the things I learned is that the Victorians were the era in the history of the church that actually saved Christmas. Yeah, believe it or not, the Victorians are the ones that we can give credit for Christmas. In the 1600s, England, all the way to the New World, had actually banned the celebration of Christmas. They actually viewed its pagan origins as irredeemable and therefore worthless. And even when the law was eventually repealed, no one really saw it as a special day. It was just a normal work day. You know, maybe some people acknowledged it on a Sunday. But when Victorian believers approached Christmas, they saw it as an opportunity to honor and celebrate the Lord Jesus. It was during the Victorian era that Christmas was seen as a time to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the one who was sent from God to save the world. And in typical Victorian fashion, they celebrated it, and they celebrated it big. In fact, it was in the Victorian era that so many of the Christmas traditions that we take for granted came about, such as decorating our homes with Christmas trees and all sorts of other decorations. In fact, this is interesting. Did you know that the Christmas card was invented by Henry Cole in 1843? Yeah, check out this picture. It's a picture of a family eating around a dinner table celebrating the birth of Christ. Guys, you need to understand how radical this is because before this, no one even considered Christmas something that you had a, a meal with, that you had family around for. You know, believers during the Victorian era saw the birth of Jesus as something to celebrate, not just among themselves, but among their friends. And the idea that we need to bring our family together to celebrate the fact that Jesus came in the first advent to create a whole new family was a radical, radical new thing, which I think fueled so much of the social change that was taking place in that time period. You know, in the Victorian era, there was an expansion of social services. Victorian Christians who saw social evils, things like slavery, child labor, the atrocious treatment of those with disabilities and mental health, they, they stepped in and said, we want to bring re reformation and restoration to these institutions. These were men and women who had a deep faith in Jesus. And they were concerned not just for the salvation of souls, but for the salvation of bodies as well. 
This was also the era where some of our most cherished and beloved Christmas carols were written. Carols like Silent Night, We Three Kings, which, by the way, was written here in Williamsport. Isn't that amazing? And of course, my favorite, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. You know, the classics. <laughs> Listen, Victorian believers also saved and restored older songs that had lost their luster. What many of their most gifted musicians did was they take, took the words of these ancient forgotten hymns and they put new music behind them, which actually helped them last even longer. And we would have lost these songs if the Victorians hadn't preserved them for the next generation. Songs like The First Noel or God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. You see, every generation of Jesus followers has an important assignment. We have an assignment, so, so lean in close. We are called to take the timeless message of the gospel and use timely methods to reach the last, the least, and the lost. That's why we're on YouTube. That's why we're on Facebook. That's why we're leveraging social media to amplify our message. We want to use all of the technology that we have in our, uh, in our hold to transform Williamsport and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every generation of Christ followers needs the opportunity to turn back to Jesus when we've lost our way when we've forgotten the ancient words that are in need of new music. So during this series, what if we looked at Advent the way the Victorians did, as a time of restoration? Whether it's restoration for things that are happening in the world, but here's the question I also want us, I want us to make this personal. What needs restoration in your own life? What do you need more of from God during this season? In fact, what does your family need God to restore? Maybe the past 11 months, two years, or three years have just stripped you down, burned you out, and you feel like an empty, bombed-out shell. What if this Advent could be the time when you let God heal you, restore you, and, and make you new? Perhaps it's the peace of God that you need restored today. You know, today is the second Sunday of our Advent series, and the second candle on the Advent wreath is the peace candle. And in the scripture we read today, that one of the names of Jesus, one of his titles, is he's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, let's all say it together, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. One of the names of Jesus, the coming King, is the Prince of Peace. And the word for peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. Go ahead and say shalom. I know I can't see you. It's on a video, but go ahead and say it. You'll, you'll be glad you did. Shalom is a kind of holistic peace. It means peace in overall welfare. It means prosperity. It means the absence of hostility and enemies. When Jesus came into the world as an infant, it was a world full of violence and terror where the strong existed to pray and exploit the weak. But when Jesus came, he came to set up a new kingdom where you can have peace with God, yourself, and others. But I know what some of you are thinking right now. Pastor Nathan, that's great. That's very theoretical. But what is this peace that Jesus is talking about? Because listen, I look around in our society and culture, it's marked by anything and everything but peace. In fact, when you look around, it seems like depression and anxiety are on the rise. It's, they're growing exponentially every single year among men, women, and children. Anxiety is something that isn't just intellectual, but we actually can feel it in our bodies. Can I ask a question? What does your stomach churn over? What keeps you up at night when those thoughts start racing, going, 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 going? 
You know, I talk with some of you, and you tell me that what keeps your stomach churning is work responsibilities. Like, Nathan, I feel overloaded. I feel hypervigilant because my phone is like an office in my pocket, and anywhere I go, I'm on. Emails, text messages, Slack messages, they are relentless. Zoom meetings from, from 9 to 5, nonstop. Or maybe you feel disappointed with your job. It's not the job that you wanted, or maybe the job that you wished you had didn't work out. And so your stomach starts to churn when you think about that demanding boss or that difficult coworker. I know some of you watching this, you're a student right now. Maybe you're in high school or in college. And maybe when you're watching this, it is finals week. So the anxiety and the, is in hyperdrive right now. It's, you're getting close to graduation and the uncertainty of, well, am I going to get a job? Uh, is it going to pay well enough? You know, we're in a recession. Am I going to be okay? And you can feel completely overwhelmed and just bowled over by all the anxiety of what it takes to finish up and finish well. We have anxiety over relationships. If you're married or you're dating someone, you, you realize that, you know, that person's going to make decisions and maybe they're having their behaviors kind of erratic and feels like the relationship's going off the rails. But it's not your fault. It's their fault, right? It's your crazy wife or it's your crazy husband. But if it's not relationships with your spouse, how about your kids? Maybe you're in an age and stage of parenting and you wonder, what is it going to take for me to guide my kid through this new season, these new challenges of the middle school years and the high school years? Or how about your health or your finances? You get anxiety when you go to the doctor. Or maybe you're anxiously waiting for news about a loved one. Or maybe you've gone through a procedure and you feel frustrated with how slow progress is going and you wonder if you'll ever be up and running and healthy again. Or your finances, you're having trouble making ends meet. Maybe you're wondering, am I using my funds right? Like, you know, what should I be doing? And, and your mind's racing, your stomach's churning. And then the next question is, what do you do with that anxiety? How do you cope with it? Do you binge watch TV shows late into the night so that you're useless the next day? Do you turn to food or alcohol or drugs or maybe it's pornography? Maybe you look to sins like greed. You know, when you're scrolling through Instagram or TikTok, maybe you're looking for something that you can lust after. Or maybe you get, you know, covetous and uh, looking at what other people have and you want it. Because the truth of the matter is your anxiety, it's pain. And when you feel pain, you want to numb it, ignore it stuff it, neglect it, find an escape. But the problem is all of those ways of escape, it just brings you back to the same place, in this place where it's just a dead end. But guys, I, I'm here to say, to say to you, I have good news for you. Jesus came to save you from your anxiety. His name is still the Prince of Peace to this day, and he wants to restore your peace of mind, your peace of heart, and your peace of well-being. So why don't we go ahead and turn to the scriptures today to learn how God wants to restore your peace this Advent season. We're going to be looking at a promise that we find in Micah chapter 5. We're going to look at the first five verses. But as you're kind of turning there, preparing your heart, I just want to make a disclaimer whenever we talk about anxiety. When it comes to talking about anxiety or depression or any other kind of mental health issues, I want to tell you that as a church, we believe that God does heal. And that God can choose to heal in any way that he, he wants to. He can choose to cure your anxiety through miracles and medicine. It's a both and. This passage is specifically going to be looking at the spiritual side of anxiety. But I also want to say to you that if you ever want prayer, leave a comment. And one of us will, will find your comment and we would love to pray with you to help you take captive over your anxious thoughts. Cast your, your, thought, your, your anxious thoughts on him because he cares for you. 
We want to pray for you. So go ahead, leave a comment if there's some anxiety that you're struggling with. We'll find your comment. We'll pray for you uh, to, to get you connected today. So let's go ahead and look at Micah together. Now, Micah is a prophet of God. A prophet is simply God's mouthpiece. He gets a word from God, and he shares it with other people, specifically God's chosen people, known as Israel. But, you know, things aren't going well with God's people. In fact, let's read this together. It says this, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are a small among the clans of Judah, and out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, and then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Amen. Come on now. <laughs> what is going on in that passage? Micah begins this section of his prophecy with the words, Marshal your troops now city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. This tiny little verse has got a ton of stuff in it. For instance, that phrase, marshal your troops, it's actually one word in Hebrew. The word is gadah. Go ahead and say gadah. Good job. Y'all are good Hebrew speakers. Gadah can, can be translated as this. Avengers, assemble. <laughs> Israel, there's a battle brood. Let's get our soldiers together. You guys got to get up to the ramparts. Uh, you got to get up to the walls of Jerusalem. In fact, the walls of Jerusalem look something like this. I mean, they are impenetrable. They are strong. They can hold off an incoming army. In fact, they've held off some of the most powerful armies in the history of that region. But they will not see victory this day. Because you see, they are going to be experiencing the consequences of turning away from God. A little bit of background here. God has called Israel to be his chosen people, to love and serve the world in the name of God. And by doing so, they would actually demonstrate the goodness and the holiness of God and invite other nations to follow him. Instead, Israel started to follow other gods, which in turn led them to oppress the poor, the marginalized, in fact, they took advantage of the, the last, the least, and the lost. You know, the marginalized, according to Scripture, included widows, orphans, and refugees. In fact, a common theme throughout Scripture is caring for widows, orphans, and refugees, and foreigners in the land. And that's why, you know, one of our causes for this year's Christmas offering is caring for refugees. Some of the most vulnerable people in the world that need our help. Now, usually when a foreign nation attacked Israel, uh, they'd be able to withstand it. But because of their lack of care, their oppression of the poor and the marginalized and turning away from God, we read this, that they, this attacking nation, will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. This is a definitive defeat of God's people. And their king, came from the line of David, was demoralized and dethroned. Guys, there will be consequences for our sin. But guys, even when we are experiencing the consequences of our sin, God's grace is greater than our failure. Because after reading this verse on judgment, the very next verse is a passage about restoration. It's like we're, it's like we're picking up the theme of the Victorians here. It says this in verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. You know, the Hebrew translation for Bethlehem 
is house of bread. So here in scripture, we see the first biblical reference to Panera bread in the Bible. So if you're ever looking for a place to eat, Panera bread is the holiest place to go. But I, I want you to take that detail and I want you to put it in your pocket. We're going to talk about it a, bit, a little bit later, so don't forget it. Now that word Ephrathah, it means fruitful, but what scholars think is actually is describing a region so that people know which Bethlehem they're talking about. Apparently there were lots of little towns of Bethlehem all over Israel. But this Bethlehem was a town that, it's one of those places that you would never stop. You would like drive through it. Like maybe you would stop if you had to use the bathroom at the Quick Mart, but that's it. Its only claim to fame was being the hometown to King David, the greatest king of Israel. But even he, he like, it's like, I, I got to get out of here. And he went to the city of Jerusalem. Micah tells us that his origins from of old, this, this ruler, from ancient times. So this ruler has been around for a long time. He's been a part of God's plan of redemption for his people, but also the world. It sounds like he's been around this, this, old, this, this old ruler, but he's about to sing a new song. You see, there was judgment, but God's also bringing restoration in the midst of it. And Micah says this, Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Wait, wait, pause. You know, like record scratch. Abandoned? <laughs> Yo, God, that seems kind of harsh. You're going to abandon your people? Well, pause. Remember, God's people abandoned him first. They left his ways, they parted from his purposes. And guys, when we step away from God's plan and purposes for our lives, we step directly into the path of anxiety, uncertainty, fear, and spiritual turmoil. But here's the promise, is that God will restore his people to himself. You know, maybe this Christmas, you particularly feel abandoned by God. Maybe you feel let down. You've been struggling at your job and you've been asking God for help and it seems like he hasn't answered. Or maybe you've been praying for your kids and again, God's unanswering. Or maybe you had a sick, someone who was sick and you've been praying and it seems like they're getting worse and worse and worse. Or maybe you're still grieving the loss of a loved one and you're still devastated by the grief years later and you feel like, God, you've abandoned me. But guys, there is good news because regardless of what we feel, Regardless of what we see, here is the reality that we see in verse 4 and 5. It says this, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he, let's all say this together, he will be our peace. Guys, there's incredible significance in this passage. If, if you're taking notes, I want to look at three realities. We need to embrace in order to make room for the Holy Spirit to give us his, that peace, to restore that peace that we seem like we're missing right now. The first is this, trust your present and future to Christ. If you're watching this and you are a follower of Jesus, your future is not up in the air. Rather, your future is certain and secure because of what Jesus accomplished for you. You know, Micah is a passage that is not only foretelling the, the destruction of Jerusalem and the judgment of God's people, it's also predicting the coming of the Messiah, the second advent. It's what scholars call telescoping prophecy, where Micah is actually seeing beyond what is in front of him, and he's seeing further to a, a reality that's not there yet. 
So when Micah talks about a ruler who was struck with a rod, that was a prophecy regarding Christ. Micah is even quoted by one of Jesus' biographers, a guy named Matthew. He tells us that Jesus' enemies were able to find out where Jesus lived in order to kill him because they understood this prophecy. In Matthew 2, 6, it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Does that sound familiar? See, the prophecies of the coming of Christ weren't things that it could have been manipulated or fabricated because these were written a thousand years before Jesus even showed up. And when he was an infant and his parents were around, they didn't have influence, they didn't have the means. It could only come about through divine orchestration. It's what we call the sovereignty of God, that the purposes of God will always come about no matter what. I remember someone telling me that anxious people are prophets of doom. They, they prophesy about the future, but only talk about how awful it's going to be. If you get on a plane, it'll crash. If you give your kid freedom, well, she's going to use it to, to hurt herself or others. It's always negative. But here's the thing. When anxious thoughts assail you, you've got to preach to yourself. You've got to remember that God has your future settled. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's got you firmly in his hand, and there's nothing or no one who can pull you out of it. You can fully and completely trust in God's care, God's protection, and the Holy Spirit's leading. You know, this passage teaches us, too, that God does big things from small starts. You know, the word that God speaks about Bethlehem are astounding. God could have had Jesus appear anywhere. You know, if God had said, Nathan, where should I bring my son? You know what I'd say? God, you know, I, I think maybe put him in Rome, because all roads lead to Rome, therefore all roads start with Rome. But, oh, actually, God, what if you put him in L.A.? 2022. Jesus could have a TikTok channel. It would go viral like the world would know in like 30 seconds. But God, in his great wisdom, choose, chose this tiny backwoods town that didn't even show up on a map, didn't even have a stoplight. And yet the most powerful king of the universe, the ruler that would overthrow the principalities and the powers of darkness, that's where he'd show up. Who, who would give us peace, peace of mind in a world that is frequently out of its mind. Micah, speaking about Christ, said, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins from of old, from ancient times. Even though Bethlehem was a small town, God used it for something big. You know, so often we overlook the little things God calls us to do, don't we? We may even get anxious because, like, we may think, man, like, I'm not, I haven't accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. I, I wanted to be further in my career than I am, or my kids are kind of behind, and we start to get anxious because we want things to be a certain way, but God has just called you to slow down, pause, and be faithful in the few things he's given you. Remember what he says, if you are faithful with, with the few things, he'll give you more. He'll take care of the rest. Don't worry about what others have done. Don't compare yourself. Simply rest in the reality that you are simply doing what you have been called to do. You're accomplishing your assignment. You know, Micah invites us to look at this ruler from this tiny place. And he says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. You know, this ruler, we know, is Jesus. And in this verse, Jesus does four things to, to secure our peace. It says that Jesus stands, meaning that Jesus is attentive. He is hypervigilant. 
He's not laying down, waiting for you to call out on him. He's intimately involved in the affairs of your life. He is aware. He's looking. He's caring for you so that you can rest in him. It says that Jesus also shepherds us. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Andrew Traxler preached this powerful message about Psalm 23. He did an amazing job talking about how Jesus is our good shepherd. He provides for us. He brings us to, you know, rivers of water and green grass. If you struggle with anxiety, he has a provision for your peace. It says Jesus strengthens us. In the Hebrew, this word means rampart. Remember those walls that we saw? Uh, the walls around Jerusalem. Mike is saying, you don't need a physical wall because Jesus is the wall all around you, protecting you from any and all harm. And finally, Jesus secures you. You know what I love about this? The Hebrew word for this literally means sit down. Basically, I can sit because Jesus stands. I, I can find rest because Jesus is at work. Guys, do you get this? That Jesus doesn't just give us peace. He is our peace. We can sit and rest in him because he stands for us. We have the power from the Holy Spirit to access the peace that passes all understanding. The God of peace gives us the peace of God because of who Jesus is. When we have Jesus, we have peace. When we have Jesus, we have life. When we have Jesus, we have serenity. Can we give God a praise. I don't know where you're watching this right now, but go ahead and give God a praise for his provision as an act of worship because the Prince of Peace provides peace. He has an abundance of peace that he wants to release to you. And here's the good news. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to run for it. You don't have to hustle for it. You simply receive it as a gift. How do you do that? You know, in the Hebrew Bible, there is a book in the Old Testament called Exodus. And it's about how God rescued his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And they were in a desert on their way to the promised land that God had for them. And when they were out there, God would provide them something to eat called manna. Manna just simply meant, what is it? And they would get up and they'd collect all of it. And they were only allowed to collect enough manna for the day. They weren't allowed to take more, but just enough for them and their family for the day. If they did take a little bit more, you know what would happen? is it would rot. It would get all maggoty and gross and whatnot. And so they were, God was trying to teach them is, hey, trust me for what I can give you for the day. Now, one of the names of Jesus, he's called manna from heaven. He is known as the bread of life. Remember we talked about Bethlehem before? Go ahead and take that out of your pocket. If Bethlehem is the house of bread, the bread of life comes out of the house of bread. Isn't that amazing? I love how God does stuff like that. It means this, that God provided the bread of life for his people, for, for you and for me. If you need peace, you can go to Jesus because he provides it for you. In fact, he invites you to approach peace like manna. You know, sometimes we ask God, God, I just want peace. But really what we need to say is, God, can you give me enough peace for 24 hours? Can you give me enough peace for 12 hours? Can, can you give me enough peace for an hour? And I've taught on this before, guys. It's what's called the manner principle. So maybe this week, if you have finals, ask God, God, I just need peace for the week. Can you give me peace for this hour when I have this test? If you're going to work and you know that annoying coworker is going to be there, or you know that demanding client or patient that stresses you out is there, God, can you give me the peace I need for this meeting, for this appointment, for this phone call? When you're about to go to the doctor and you're about to leave your car, God, can you give me the peace I need for this doctor's appointment? And maybe it's like, God, I just need you to give me peace minute by minute, moment by moment. God, I'm about to open up my budget and get my finances in order. Jesus, would you be my peace? 
Will you give me the peace I need with this? When I talk to my partner to have that hard conversation, when I have to wrestle, you know, have, have a meeting with my teacher over my kids over a difficult issue, God, will you give me the peace I need for that meeting? Only Jesus can restore your peace this Christmas. You know, this Christmas, you're going to walk through the city. You're going to see the beautiful lights. You're going to see all of the vestiges of the Victorian Christmas all around. But as you see those vestiges, may it remind you that the Prince of Peace wants to restore your peace today. Hey, maybe you're watching this right now, and maybe you're kind of curious about faith in Christ and Christianity, and you're wondering what that has to do with you. Well, I want to invite you, if you are looking for peace, and you've never experienced true peace, you can have it today. You can have peace with God, yourself, and others by becoming a follower of Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And it's really simple. It's simple as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. Guys, the truth is, we all sin. We, we all do things where we abandon God and we, we put ourselves on a path of anxiety and fear and uncertainty. So we need to admit that we sin, that we are separated from Christ, from God. But if we, B, believe in Jesus— Put our faith in him. Trust that he died for us on the cross. He died for our sins to, to bridge the gap between us, us and God. And then see, we commit to follow him. What we're saying is, I'm going to give you my life, Jesus. I'm going to follow you every single day of my life. When we do that, we actually enter into eternal life. And this is why I would say there's a D. And that D is, do it today. If you want to begin following Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer with me. After you pray this prayer, I'll tell you what you can do next. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent your son Jesus on earth on Christmas to, to die for my sins, to restore all things, to restore peace in my life. And so God, I commit to follow your ways today. I commit to take steps to draw closer to you. God, I want to do it today. I know that the journey will be glorious, but it'll also be bumpy. But I want to choose to begin today. In your name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I just want to say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you are here with us. And here's your next step. I want you to text the phrase, start my journey to 97,000. That's start my journey to 97,000, 97,000. What you'll do is you'll get a link. You'll be able to follow that link. And we'll be able to help you take your next steps to begin following Jesus. Guys, I'm so excited for you who've prayed that prayer, who've taken that step to follow Jesus. So now the Prince of Peace has restored your peace today. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.